Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 4 of Riding Unicorns. Today, Hector and I are delighted to welcome Lawrence Krieger, the UK CEO of Tidebank. Tide is revolutionising how small businesses manage their money admin. Tide is used by over 360,000 businesses and have raised over £120 million in funding. So, let's get started. Welcome to Riding Unicorns, Lawrence. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. Great to be here. And thank you for uh, inviting me. Cool. So, Lawrence, we always like to start with getting a background on our guest career. So maybe you could take us right back to the start and how you ended up at Tide. Wow. Okay. So the start is a long time ago, unfortunately, for my sins. So I, I left uni in 94. And in 94 was basically the birth of the World Wide Web. I mean, when I was at uni, I, I remember we didn't even have internet. We didn't have dial-up. I think there was one internet computer in the library in Manchester, which you'd go and, and, and search for reference notes on, but that was about it. And then in 94, we saw the kind of first inkling of the web. And there started to be companies that were focused on web. And I, I was about to do law. I was about to do a conversion. And I thought, actually, you know what? My dad hated law. He was a lawyer. So I thought, I, I'm not going to do that. This thing just seemed really interesting Everyone thought I was mad, like, you know, why are you getting involved in that little thing called the internet? Um, so I went and did it and I and um, went to the first Internet World Conference. I remember at Olympia, it was like a little bit of a, an, I think it was some multimedia conference and at the back of it. There was a few stands which were sort of internet related. So, yeah, so that's where it all started. And uh, we literally took my CV along, pitched for a job through the probably the 10 companies that were there at the time. And haven't really looked back since. I think, you know, it's probably the best decision. Well, my wife's going to tell me the best decision of my life, obviously, was marrying her. But other than that, it was the best decision of my life was just getting um, into this new thing called the World Wide Web Internet and starting working in that. And uh, yes, from there, it kind of grew. And, and I I was working for, at the first, I, I started doing, like, I was actually going to see very large companies. Back then, companies like, Nortel, I don't even know if they're around nowadays, Motorola, it tells you kind of the era, who were like, you know, the biggest companies back then, and literally having to see their board and explaining to them like what the internet did. So I was essentially selling web services to them. And then from there, went to work for one of the first internet recruitment sites that got folded into monster.com. It was set up by uh, Harvey Nash and Computer People and a couple of other companies at the time. Um, and Around about the, the kind of internet boom era, um, you know, the first wave, the dot-com boom, as they called it, um, I decided, right, you know, there's all these companies making a fortune. Hence, you know, back then, I don't even know if we were, we definitely weren't using the, the term unicorn, but we were using, you know, like the, people were, people would say, talking about these multi-billion pound companies that have risen from nowhere. And most of them were not making a penny. And I thought, well, I'm going to try my luck at this. So I, I started up my own internet business. Um, and this was this was in the the late nineties, um, and I had a, a web development company, built websites for other companies, built an internet portal business called Twenty Four Seven Net, which um, was actually we were pretty pretty successful, raised some some money, and then boom, dot com bubble burst back in two thousand, and uh, literally all the money dried up, and I thought I'd better go and work for someone. Who can who can look after me? So I, I I went off to work for Yahoo, 
Um, so I went to work for Yahoo, which was, I, I, I kind of thought, who's going to weather this storm? Like, which businesses are going to be around? And back then, Yahoo was the number one um, website worldwide in pretty much every country. And I thought, if, if, if they don't weather the storm, then um, no one can. Um, so I, I became business development manager, ended up at Yahoo running business development and client sales. And that was a fantastic time. I really, really enjoyed my time at Yahoo. It, it was, you know, fantastic working for, for really the number one, back then the number one web company um, and gave me the first sort of global exposure and spent about six years there. I then got into payments. It wasn't fintech, it was payments back then. It was far less sexy. Um, but yeah, so I got into payments and I realized that there was like all these opportunities in the payment space. And I started working with businesses. I launched the, one of the first prepaid cards in the UK, um, actually with Yahoo, then with Money Supermarket, because I knew that Simon there, the uh, the founder. And things sort of spawned from there. And, and in the end, I, I basically was working in this kind of whole global e-money, e-wallet, prepaid card space contracting, consulting with other companies. And that brought me into Revolut. Um, I was I was asked by early investors in Revolut to essentially just meet the founder and sort of, I think they were do, asking me to do a bit of due diligence. Uh, so they, I can't mention their name, but they were a, a large London VC who doesn't normally get involved in um, sort of seed round and had, had basically just put some money in them pre, pre-Series A. So it was really early stage went to level 39 in Canary Wharf, met Nikolai and, and Vlad. And it was, I think there was about five people in, in, it was kind of pre-launch stage. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And I was about to start up my own business with um, a guy called Errol Damelin, who's who's a serial investor, you probably know him on the scene, you're nodding your head. Um, and I had a bit of time in my hands. So um, Nikolai literally said to me, would you, can you come and help me build out my, my, my payment infrastructure? And um, I was like, I'm kind of busy. And then he said, look, how about three days a week? So the next day I was in level 39 working with uh, Revolut, initially as a contractor. And then when we launched, it just took off um, from nowhere, as sometimes unicorns do. And he persuaded me I stayed on as a COO and uh, was there for about a year and almost two years um, working with Nikolai, left when it was about a million customers so we'd kind of gone into Europe we'd we'd grown very very rapidly and the reason I left and I'm often asked why did you leave and go to Tide two reasons one we'd launched Revolut for Business and I knew there was a huge opportunity to just go in in the whole pure play SME space Um, and I I really saw that that was a massively underserved market and then Errol who I'd kind of let down because I said I'm not going to do this venture with you and um, I, I went into Revolut instead, and then he backed Tide, and he was the connection that kind of brought me to, to meet George, the founder of Tide. And, and I saw what they were doing, and I realized there was a massive opportunity. I realized that, that one company is going to do this. So um, sort of jumped ship, went to Tide, initially as a COO, um, then became chief operating product officer. And more recently, um, the beginning of this year, I was made CEO of the UK business Obviously, Tide's on a massive journey, and um, I've been very, very lucky. So when I joined Tide, it was, again, very, very small, similar to when I joined Revolut, about five, 10 people. We're now about 750 people, employees, uh, will be probably 1,000 employees by the end of the year. But more importantly, we serve about 360,000 businesses in the UK. Um, we're, we're basically the next 
player. Um, if you look at the sort of big four, then you've got Santander in terms of market share for business banking. We we come next, um, and we've done that in the space of about four years. So we, we've been growing incredibly rapidly, and as we've announced recently, we, we are going to India as our next territory this year. So yeah, we're on a we're on a high octane growth journey. It's been incredibly exciting to be part of two big fintech players. I would like to say just now that often people think about Tide as, as a kind of a neobank for businesses, but we're much more than that. We're actually building a business financial platform for businesses. So yeah, so I guess that's tried to be as quick as possible just to give you my story, but that's my brief story of how I got here. It's that sort of you, Steve Jobs, you can't connect the dots looking <laughs> backwards. You can only connect them looking forwards or whatever way around it is. Um, amazing how it kind of led you to this point. And I'm sure some of those experiences in recruitment and early stage and funding and all those things have been absolutely critical to what you do now. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to say it was a grand master plan. I'd love to say, yeah, I plotted the whole thing out, but of course you don't. Um, but yeah, I've, I've been very fortunate in that. I guess I've, I've chosen the right opportunities at the right times in, in my career. And often things just grow from this but obviously it's nice to be able to look back but uh, yeah there's there's it's certainly been an interesting ride put it that way yeah and when you're steering a sort of big company that is pretty big now really in mm. startup terms when you come to a decision like going to India how mm. does that process come about and who's involved in a decision of that magnitude yeah so I think it's a collective decision, firstly. So if you look at the Tide business, I run the UK business. Um, Oliver is is global CEO. So he's obviously, at the end of the day, is instrumental in making that decision. Um, but it is a collective decision. We, we went about it in a very different way to some startups. So some startups really try to throw flags on the map. They literally just try and go as many places as possible. And then what they try and do is see which, you know, where they get sort of pick up. It's almost like MVP, get pick up and then go from there. Um, within business banking and within the area that we're in, which is this business financial platform, um, actually, the, the, there are a lot of complex issues we're trying to solve. So basically, our mission is to give back time to businesses. And we do that through basically taking all the financial and admin complexities that a business owner would need to get their head around and looking after that all in one one um, place one app uh, or website and in looking at that there's a lot of um, use cases and a lot of value add that we are we're building and therefore just launching say just a simple banking service isn't really enough we, we want to go much much deeper than that so we, if we go into a market we want to really heavily invest and we want to add like mass and value. And ultimately our, our vision is, you know, we're, we're quite aggressive in our vision. We want to be the market leader in this space. So when we go into a new market like India, we really go in full blast. So, you know, what we did is as a business is we looked at the world. We looked at where there was a large population of SMEs and, you know, India is certainly... I think, I think actually the largest, I mean, if you think about population wise, you've got 1.3 billion people in India. We call ourselves in the UK an entrepreneurial nation, but really in India, everyone's an entrepreneur there. Yeah, everyone's a micro company. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And it's not like the differences in, in the UK, if you drive down the street, 
you'll just see the same brands on the high street. Mm. Whereas you drive down the typical street in say Mumbai, and you know, you'll see hundreds of, as you said, micro businesses in one street. And there will be businesses that you've got like a, a, a small shop and then above the shop, you've got a, like an office. And then in the front of the shop, you've probably got a stall that's selling fruit and vegetables on the pavement. And so if you think about a very small space of a few square foot, there's three businesses there. So there's tens of millions of businesses in India. So it's an enormous SME population. And I think the other thing about India is that, um, which is really exciting is they're very much digitizing payments. They're very much moving towards a fully digitized society. In that, in that kind of picture that we talked about on the street, you'll see all three shopkeepers sitting there on their mobile phone. Um, and that, that's one commonality that you'll always yeah. see, right? They're all connected to their mobiles. There's actually great Wi-Fi in most cities. So it seemed like a great fit. And, and then the other thing about India is the government is really encouraging businesses to become formalized. There was a lot of like cash economy and informal businesses. And obviously for, from a tax point of view, that doesn't really work from, from the, for the government. So government is really sort of prodding businesses into becoming formalized and registered and and we see there's a huge opportunity there so yeah so that there was a lot of um, deep thinking and obviously we looked at the globe we looked at all the different um, countries that we could go to and we thought well you know our next country could be France or no you know nothing wrong with France love the country but relatively small population and relatively small uh, business population compared to say India yeah, no, super interesting. Are there things beyond the, the banking infrastructure for SMEs? Uh, is there stuff beyond that that really excites you? The use of AI kind of network effects where customers can provide and offer value to other customers. It becomes more of a kind of community. 100%, 100%. So I think this is, you've hit upon one of the areas that we see that as a huge opportunity for us to help our members, businesses that are on Tide. Um, so, yeah, so as I said, we're, we're really a, a platform rather than trying to be a business bank. We obviously do offer real FSCS business, business accounts. So we, we offer that service anyway. And then alongside that service, we, we offer a number of other services which plug into it. So one of the big areas is business admin. So it's expenses, it's invoicing, it's receipt management. For example, you can set up your invoices on time. We'll chase it for you. You can have expense cards for your team. You can set limits and that kind of thing. As, as well as expenses and, and admin, you've also got um, credit. And obviously that's a, an incredibly important part of most businesses, especially now. So we offer many different credit facilities. Uh, we also offer merchant acquiring. And that's something that we, we're actually going to be live with this year. We're, we're building out with a partner a merchant acquiring facility. So you can take payments as a business on Tide. And that will be for both businesses that I say need to do e-commerce, but also for, for those that are dealing with physical commerce. So, you know, it might be micro businesses, it could be tradesmen who come into your home, do some work like a plumber, and then can WhatsApp you a link and you can pay by link. So those kind of services we're offering as well. Um, and uh, finally, of course, payments is a massive area for us. So we're, we're doing a lot in the whole payment space. So that's, that's in a nutshell what the, the areas that we focus on at Tide. And then we also have this huge community. So we've got about 360 odd thousand businesses on, in the UK alone on, on Tide. And as you said, there, there is a real opportunity for us to, to really network those, those businesses up so they can start to 
basically buy and sell services from each other. Mm-hmm. So we will be launching a member directory service very soon. That's something we're working on. And then the other thing that we, we're working on at the moment is launching a uh, what we call basically a, a marketplace for, for businesses. So um, you can get, for example, your accounting uh, or you can plug into Xero or Sage or QuickBooks through Tide. But if you want, for example, an accountant, you will be able to find an accountant on Tide and we'll look after the end-to-end experience. So we'll rate that accountant. We'll make sure they're certified. We'll make sure that they deliver the service at the end of the day to the customer. And it's those kind of services as well that we're basically cross-promoting, cross-pollinating both our customers, but also our partners. Yeah. No, I think it's cool. We see episode one, so many companies who pitched to us at pre-seed and seed saying, look, this is the first thing that we're going to do. We're going to nail it. And then we're going to have an app store and we're going to have a marketplace where people developers can develop their own widgets and apps for for the community to use and I love that vision and I love it when it works out and I wonder whether the stuff you're talking about the credit and the other things are they built by you guys are they, is it part of a closed yeah. ecosystem or is there an opportunity to open it up yeah so it's a really it's a really important um, distinction so what we realized about SMEs is one size does not fit all Right. So there's no point in us, for example, building out like a accounting product and then expecting all of our, our business customers to use it. Right. Because some will want to use it. And we are launching a tied labeled accounting product um, with our partner. But also at the same time, we're going to be allowing, if you want to access and we already do this today, other accounting products. So already today on Sage, on, on Tide, sorry, you can access Sage, Zero, you know, QuickBooks, all the other accounting services. And then in addition to that, you may decide, well, actually, I just don't want to do anything, any of that stuff. It's all a bit too complex. I just want an accountant that's going to look after me. And that's where the marketplace comes in. And we see it more as like an Amazon seller than a marketplace. So the problem with marketplaces, it tends to just be very shallow. So you tend to just link from tied to a third party and maybe there's a bit of data sharing but that's about it the problem there is that you're kind of like left and left on your own and the experience disappears it's almost like okay here's here's a provider and if you want to use them use them yeah and you've got you guys control over the experience right exactly and they, and that's the way you that's the way amazon works right so if you're buying on amazon or you're buying a seller it does the experience is the same experience and that's how we look at it and that's that's really our approach very interesting. Yeah, I love the mission statement to give business owners back more time. Uh, it definitely resonates through your advertising, which is really great. Do you think that there'll be any acquisitions from Tide in the near future? I mean, not a pre-approved question, but it sounds like you guys have got so much that you could cover. Um, are you going to build or buy or bid? Yeah, of- so we we're we're certainly not in the 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 um, space of trying to build everything. And I learned that very early on in my career. So if I if I go back to my Yahoo days, you know, as I said, Yahoo back then was was the number one internet property. Um, they tried to build pretty much everything themselves, from music and and mail to search and sports, and really that approach didn't work. And that's probably why you've seen, if you look at history of Yahoo, they've gone from being number one to almost disappearing. So. That's certainly not our strategy. We don't believe, if you want to really build out um, a strong horizontal play, which is what we're building, we don't believe in doing that all ourselves. So what we do is we work with partners. We integrate either 
through our own branding, our own tied label branding, but ultimately we'll do the kind of front-end experience layer and below that we'll sit the partner. Or we will as a just connect out to partners through like, you know, as, as I said to you before, like zero. Or we will connect through a marketplace. But what we don't try to do is build everything ourselves. And really the experience layer is the bit that we add value in. The other bit of value that we really add, um, which you commented already on the call, is the data, right? So we collect a lot of data. We I know it's every, everyone talks about ML, but we really do invest heavily in ML. And that's where we can then bring the right products, the right services to our members through really understanding our members, and that's through data. But no, we don't try to build everything ourselves. We really partner is, is our approach. Um, and also, as I said before, what we don't try to do is just um, shoehorn a certain service or a certain partner through to our, our members. We want to offer choice because we believe that SMEs are very diverse. They're complex. You can't just offer one standard service per, per subsector. So yeah, so that's really our approach. And obviously any business has limited engineers and product people. And we really want to put those valuable people to, to best use. And as I said, that's really in the experience layer rather than trying to compete with a, a third party who's really going after the vertical. Yeah, I'm really interested also to hear about the transition from COO um, Revolut and then COO um, Tide and the transition to to CEO and what that meant for you and different skills, different things that were needed, things you enjoyed more about each role. Yeah, so I think um, really things I've done up until now has kind of prepared me for the new role in the CEO of of Tide UK. So along the way, I mean, COO firstly can mean so many different things. So when I was at Revolut, for example, I was looking after obviously operations, but also I was looking after marketing and business development, where at a Tide, I took on product as well as operations and operations for us is the whole onboarding KYC piece, plus customer support, plus transaction monitoring, and then product. And then I guess the new part to my role really is the marketing piece, which I, I had before, which I have some experience in, but I wouldn't claim to be a marketeer, but I have a very strong team behind me. And I think that also, if I think about my role today at CEO, it's really about handling the PL and the performance of the business and the metrics. And I'm quite a commercial person. I've, I've always really been interested in what makes businesses tick. How do you grow businesses? How do you go from a standing start to X number of customers and then how do you 10x that, et cetera? And also like how do you maximize revenue whilst also having a fantastic product that your hopefully your customers love with really high sentiment scores. So I've always been very much looking at those KPIs and those measurements and seeing how you can pull those levers internally to be able to achieve those things. Um, so I think really I've got the kind of the tactical understanding. And I think that the only kind of big difference now is that it's about the horizons you look in. So perhaps before I was looking at maybe horizon one or horizon two, whereas now my, my role is also horizon three. So I've, I've always got to be keeping an eye on the ball that's in the air and making sure everything's working well in, you know, in the short term, but also always thinking to the future and always thinking what next, what are we going to be doing at the end, by the end of this year, by the end of next year. I think that's probably the only big difference there. Yeah, it's really interesting. You've held a number of management roles. What's some core characteristics that you 
really look for and admire and that you've seen as a bit of a pattern over time on mm. the best people to have working alongside you? Yeah. So I think if we, if I look at the um, values of our business, we have three values in our business. One is being member first. We call our customers members, but really thinking first customer, not thinking first on, on my job. And that's incredibly important. And I think if you haven't got that kind of mindset, then you're not right for Tide. Because really any great tech business or business for that matter really has to be customer centric and really wants to go out their way to help the customer. So that's the first one. The second one of our values is, is being data driven. So within a, a business like ours, where there are so many things that we need to do simultaneously, you need to be able to prioritize and you need to be able to look clearly as a situation and you need to be able to think logically about an approach not going on just gut instinct not just going on emotion but you need to go on data and present that data in a very succinct coherent way so that's another one of our values and it's another thing that for me I really look for and then the final one is being one team so within Tide of course we have multiple teams we have multiple teams across multiple regions as well we're in uh, four different locations globally so it's really important that we all work as one team and very often we're all interdependent. You know, there's so much cross-dependency across the business. And if we can't afford to have uh, silos and people just thinking about their, their team or their, their uh, issue or, or what they're trying to achieve. So I think, in essence, those are the three big values at, at Tide. And there's a reason why we have those values. We thought long and hard, and those are really what we look for. The final thing I would say is, for me, the pace is phenomenally fast and in time, and I'm sure it's the same in, in most scale-ups and startups. In fact, if it's not, then you've probably got to ask yourself some questions as to why not. Um, so you need somebody who's, in how I think about hiring, is somebody who's got their feet on the ground, who can remain calm under pressure, but has also got, got enough energy and enough resilience to see them through. Because this, you know, this isn't a job for somebody who just wants to do a nine-to-five role. Ultimately, my direct reports, who are the VPs, you know, they've got serious jobs to do and they take it very seriously. I've been uh, reading a bit about how fintechs will, will have in the past existed alongside banks, incumbents and where that relationship will go. And as someone who doesn't work in fintech, I invest a little bit in fintech, but not as close to the ground as you. How do you see that playing out? Do you, do you think so? For context, I look at them and think, well, okay, Tide, on the face of it, it's just a better product. It's a better experience mm. for SMEs than using an incumbent. Do, do you think the incumbents will catch up and reach product and experience parity? Or do you think it's just an inevitability that people move entirely to, to fintech, to companies like Tide? Yeah, so I, th- I think it's an inevitability. There is massive, massive disruption going on right now before our eyes globally in the finance space. And you only need to look at Klarna's valuation. Yes, they're at 45 billion. The fact that Nubank is soaring, I think they've got now 40 million customers in Brazil and, and, and Mexico and Colombia. You know, the fact that we in four years at Tide have grown from being nothing to overtaking brands like um, Virgin and Clydesdale and other high street brands. So there is huge, huge disruption happening. And the big reason for that is, for me, two two things. Firstly, um, 
businesses, all the businesses I mentioned to you, first and foremost, tech businesses, and secondly, finance businesses, you know, as people say, tech fin rather than fintech. And that's a really important distinction to make because banks, in my mind, are culturally completely different. They think of themselves first and foremost as finance businesses, and they're typically really bad at the tech stuff. I mean, the large, large global banks are spending billions and billions a year just keeping the lights on, just keeping their legacy systems going and not innovating. So in order for a large bank or even a local bank to try to catch up, I think it's almost impossible with the pace of change and the way in which businesses and the leading business fintech businesses are able to um, develop from where they started to where they are today. I think that catch up is just too hard to achieve today and, and let alone in the future. I think the other thing I said, there was two things. The other thing is the amount of investor appetite. I'm sure you're seeing this for successful fintech businesses. And therefore what, what these businesses are able to do, they've got the ambition, they've got the technical know-how, they've got the customer demand, having the funds is essentially adding rocket fuel. And therefore, they're able to grow exponentially. They're able to grow into new markets. They're able to grow their, their product base and their customer base so quickly that in five years' time, in my mind, fintech, these leading fintech players like Tide, we'd have taken over from the traditional banking space. And I think there'll be a role for the incumbents, but I don't think it'll be the same role as you see today. As a result, why do you think we haven't seen more acquisitions of neo banks by traditional banks because you know there's probably been many opportunities there was rumors about monzo and lloyds and things and what, why do you think that hasn't occurred i think i think the biggest reason why that hasn't happened is twofold firstly i think initially the big banks didn't take the fintech players seriously i i saw that with my own eyes i remember when i was at revolut back in 2015 i'd meet the banks and I'd meet the schemes. And, and really, we were seen as this little company. They're, they're going to go nowhere. Um, is, that uh, so I think, is that quite sorry? satisfying that you've kind of wiped the smile off their face? So to <laughs> <say>. <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would say that I get, you know, I get get uh, any satisfaction from doing that. I, I, I get more satisfaction from just growing, growing businesses and, and seeing ourselves, you know, do really well. But I think there was definitely a complacency there. I don't think uh, the banks thought that, that, that fintech would ever really uh, take off in the way it has. And then, so I think that's one of the reasons. And then I think because of that, what happened was businesses um, became very quickly, uh, very large, very quickly. And they almost became too large to acquire. So if you think about multi, you know, multi-billion dollar valuations of, of fintech businesses they're probably at this stage it's probably hard to see how a traditional bank can acquire one of those companies i'm sure there were plenty of offers out there for leading near banks but i think it's a matter of timing the other question is really i think if you look at the, the history books are, are banks equipped to, to to purchase these types of businesses and then really make keep them going and and, and make them as successful as they should be and you know, we've had, we've seen sometimes that doesn't work particularly well when you get traditional businesses acquiring fast, fast, uh, fast flying tech businesses. It's the sort of AOL Warner merger mm. issue that 
they get so big that it becomes a sort of merger and then they sort of both crumble. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's two very different cultures colliding in, in a way. Yeah. No, it's it's really interesting. And partly driven, well, almost seemingly driven by VC dollars, firstly propping them up with enough capital to get big enough that they're taken seriously. And then also that result of those VCs saying, well, we, why would we exit now? We're, we're winning this war. So Correct, correct. And obviously, the public markets have been also very receptive, you know, and we've seen now some new IPOs in, in the fintech space. So, and that's just going to keep growing. So I, I think that that's clearly the, the logical path for, for a lot of these businesses. Yeah, sounds like tide becoming a tidal wave. <laughs> Taking over. Um, you planned that one, James, haven't you? Yeah. I've been thinking about <laughs> for five minutes. Um, <laughs> so we like to tie things up at the end with a sort of dinner party guest game, but we, we call it the business lunch game. So if you were to um, go for lunch with three people, kind of pick their brains for an hour, it can be anyone really, um, who would they be? Okay. So I, th- I think my first choice would probably be one that um, many people say, but uh, he he's just so kind of crazy that I just think you'd be really interesting to chat to, but I would like to, I'd like to have Elon there. Um, I'd like to talk to him about, you know, his businesses and his future plans and what he thinks is going to happen to the world. And are we all going to get off to Mars and live there one day? Uh, So I think he'd be really interesting. I think the next one for me would be um, someone who, who really thinks um, deeply about, you know, what's going on in the world and tries to make it a better place. Um, and, and actually I really rate Melinda Gates because I think she is somebody who actually isn't as much obviously in the spotlight as I think her, her ex-husband now, I believe they're, they're split up. I think she's, she's super interesting because she, from what I read about her, she's really the, a lot of the, the, the drive behind the Gates Foundation and she's donated plenty to charity. And I think that she's somebody who really understands what's going on in, in the world today, both from a COVID point of view, but also she really thinks about the disadvantaged people, how they can actually get out of that state into a place where they can become successful and you know, really investing heavily in various different causes. And I think she'd be really interesting to speak to. Finally, I would say Gareth Southgate, I would like to have him there right now uh purely to talk team tactics uh hopefully to get uh, a bit of an inside scoop on what's going to happen with the england squad he wrote a a really interesting open letter because i think england managers sometimes you know that what comes out of their mouths is not that inspiring but actually he was really inspiring and he was really thinking about the wider picture of how important the england players are to the country and how inspirational they are to to young people and I've got two young boys and they're going to be watching them. Um, it really hit a chord and I, I think it'd be interesting to have at the table right now. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Yeah, Elon, just a, yeah, interesting brain to just sort of spend some time with Melinda's compassion and what she's done there. And yeah. then uh, Gareth right now would be so interesting to talk to. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, really interesting. Great answers. Thank you so much, Lawrence. It's really great. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on and telling us your riding unicorn story. There's been some really interesting stuff in there. And uh, yeah, we can't thank you enough and wish you all the best with Tide going forwards. Thank you very much. And uh, great to be here. And thanks for inviting me. Thanks, Lawrence. So this week's Startup Spotlight is Claimer. 
uh, claimer.com which make tax credits really easy. The reason I love this is the general applicability of it. Most tech startups in the UK have a lot of R&D expenditure on which they can claim tax credits. Claimer are doing a, an awesome job making it incredibly easy and painless to do what is usually a, a long, tiresome process, which they have to do every year. I actually angel invested in their in their latest round, which um, will probably be announced soon. There's loads of scope to expand uh, into other areas of, of business, which they have on their roadmap and can't wait to see how they execute on their vision. So that's all from Riding Unicorns this week. Next week, we have Matt Ford from Moro Capital. It's Santander's corporate VC arm, and they're one of the leading investors in fintech. Matt's also got a background as a operator as well as an investor, so it'll be a really interesting conversation. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and we'll catch you next time.